Josh Len, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Ron. It's nice to be here. Excellent. Well, um, not only thank you for being on the podcast, but I should really say thank you for helping to launch the podcast. And so before we really delve into it, I think this calls for a bit of backstory as this is uh, the maiden voyage. So we really like the catalyst behind this was, I guess, a couple months ago um, in Copenhagen. We were uh, hanging out in Copenhagen, uh, swapped a house. Uh, my family, uh, Dutch family or Danish family was staying at our place. We were there. You guys, uh, your family visited us from Stockholm. We were up late into the night or perhaps it was even early morning at that time. And I think the way that it, I was really uh, consulting with you about leveling up in career professionally as well as personally. And you had recommended the idea of just how do you get out um, onto various platforms, um, just exercising uh, one's creativity in a number of ways. And and then I was like, yeah, maybe a podcast would be uh, would be pretty cool. So uh, it seemed like it resonated, and uh, lo and behold, here we are. Is, is that seem factually correct, or had I had too many uh, Carlsbergs? <laughs> <laughs> I seem to remember a few Carlsbergs happening. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that definitely sounds correct. Uh, we had some, uh, we had some great talks long into uh, a few of the nights there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, you've always, uh, been, you know, great at conversation and so many ideas. It just was the natural fit for you to have a podcast. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's good to know that, um, I'm not spinning too many yarns at this stage. Uh, there is some sort of factual accuracy there. Um, so one of, I guess, just to help flesh out, what is the idea of this podcast? The The title is Hungry Minds. And basically, it's really a podcast designed to explore uh, the power of curiosity, of asking questions and dwelling in possibility. And so all of the people that I'll be interviewing, obviously you're the first one, is really people that exemplify, I think, that spirit and those habits of mind in their walks of, in the various walks of life. And so that's what we're going to explore. And I think this is probably a pretty good time to introduce uh, your background and your story uh, to those that may tune in. So how do you want to um, start? Who are you? What do you do? <laughs> yeah, so uh, I do a few things. I, I basically call myself a transformational coach because I love to help people grow and develop. Uh, I'm also a professional actor, and I'm the artistic director of International Theater Stockholm, and we specialize in improvised theater. Uh, so I really bring the best of what I've learned as an actor and an improviser and uh, to companies and groups. And I help people be more collaborative, creative, confident, bold, and fun. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of what I do. And I kind of dabble in all three of those areas. Yeah. And I, and I know for the people in, in the Stockholm region, you're pretty well known for uh, this award-winning improv, Lost in Translation. So perhaps you can just briefly describe what that uh, 
is or or was i know you're going to be transitioning to some new shows but yeah what what was lost in translation yeah lost in translation was a completely improvised show about the experience of living as a foreigner in sweden so we really put swedes and foreigners and our cultural differences on stage um and it was what made it so fun and unique was that each show we'd have about 25 to 30 different nationalities of people in the audience and uh, everyone would, you know, share their experience because improv is a collaboration with the audience. So um, it was really how the audience experienced Sweden. We would create stories from that. And it was pretty cool because you could have people from like Iraq, China, us brazil um you know all over the world and they could all kind of relate to this experience and uh we really had this kind of form of of therapy in a way uh where you know we would all kind of have a chance to laugh and celebrate our differences and we all felt kind of closer together as a result of it so the show kind of became, you know, it created a small little improv movement in the international community in Stockholm. Um, and that was exciting. And uh, we ran that show for about five and a half years uh, before it closed uh, last winter. Yeah. Yeah, it sounded like such a remarkable show. And it seemed that, uh, yeah, Stockholm embraced you guys. And you guys won an award, right? Yeah, we won. Uh, we did. We won like a Swedish, a national Swedish performing arts um, audience award. So uh, the audience came out and supported us and voted for us, which was pretty cool. Yeah, congratulations. So I think most people listening have an idea of how improv might be different from, say, scripted acting because it's unscripted. But perhaps you can provide an overview of what are some improv fundamentals. And I think that will then serve as a nice segue to how you're then applying some of uh, these fundamentals uh, to some of your work within uh, the corporate sector. So, so yeah, what are some of uh, the improv fundamentals? Yeah. So just like for, for people who don't really know what improv is in general, it's, it's when a group of actors come together and we create theater without a script. So we need to be great at communicating, listening, collaborating. Um, and the, the fundamentals and the skills we use translate really well to work, life, relationships, etc. cetera. Um, and the first fundamental, which is kind of, you know, the core fundamental of improv, the engine of uh, improv, so to speak, of collaboration is yes and. Um, and those two, a lot of people have heard those two words and, and they're very impactful. I, I would say those two words have really changed my life a lot. Um, so yes, and is uh, a way of collaborating uh, and accepting other people's ideas and building on them. Um, and it sounds really easy. Uh, but put into practice, it, it becomes a lot more difficult. Uh, you know, the older we get, we learn how to say no. Yeah. And we learn how to really, you know, 
create these small little comfort zones. And when we start saying yes to things, then we start really having to jump outside these comfort zones. Um, and uh, one of the founding fathers of improv theater, Keith Johnstone, he said that people who say yes are rewarded with the adventures that they go on. And people who say no are rewarded with the security they attain in their lives. Um, and so I, I think that's really true because once you start saying yes, uh, you know, when you're communicating, you can go on amazing adventures with people and really dig into your creativity. Um, and uh, when you say no, it, you, you never really get to those places um, or even have a chance. So uh, that's really, I would say, the most important thing with improv and, and kind of the fundamental that all people learn as beginners and this can really change the way you communicate in teams, companies, you know, um, et cetera. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, this is one of the areas where I've been very fascinated with our conversations over the years. And it seems immediately obvious how that's relevant to any of us, whether we're actors uh, or not, because life in many respects is improvisational. We don't really have the script for how things are going to unfold. And I think noticing that, yes, and it has had an impact on me just listening to how you implement that implement that as an actor or how you've been doing this transformational coaching and noticing in my own case or all of our cases where there is subtle or not so subtle resistance to what is to where we're not saying yes and we're saying no categorically no and often that is unconscious so yeah i think it's something that is pretty powerful it's uh something that doesn't really take a, a long time to conceptually get but as you said there's this deeper version we have emotionally to a range of of circumstances so this is probably a good place to get a sense of how well, i just wanted to add one yeah, thing to what you said yeah absolutely if you don't mind and there there's a it, it's the way we say no isn't always no Right. It's not always an honest no. Often it's a yes, but. Ah. And uh, this is kind of where we live in this yes, but uh, area. Interesting. And uh, the thing, which is not strange because we've lived our whole educational lives learning how to think critically. And when someone brings an idea to you and you're like, yes, but, hmm, you know, uh, you, you instantly look for the problem in that idea. So instead of being like, yes, and da, 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 uh, let me build on your idea and see and explore it. You're, you're going, yes, but let me tell you what's wrong with that idea. This. Uh, and so what happens is you suck the energy out of any kind of conversation. And um, that idea never really stands a chance. And most places where I go to, most companies, um, this is kind of the space they live in. And uh, I think the big danger with this kind of no, rather than the honest like, no, I don't believe in that idea. Uh, the danger with yes, but is it, it really sucks the energy. Everyone feels criticized. And uh, eventually people stop sticking their necks out and putting their ideas out. I think this is an important distinction because... Uh it's it's something that we can 
probably deceive ourselves quite frequently where we're th- on the surface we seem to be open to the ideas but but under underneath there is this resistance uh to that so i think yeah that's a pretty helpful distinction so when you're transitioning from working with actors or people that might just want to learn improv because they're curious to then you're going to say spotify uh, and you're working with uh, these kinds of clients. How do you how do you approach this, and how do you get people to begin to make some of these changes to where they accept and embrace some of these improv fundamentals, and it begins to transform how they communicate and how they collaborate? What are what are the strategies that you um, use uh, within that particular context to to improve, I guess, team team performance? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I think it's really important to be relevant and and really make the connection to someone's work. Um I mean, luckily I have actually or luckily, I've actually experienced the corporate world. Um I've done a lot of sales. That was always kind of like my day job. Uh and I've been in corporate environments, so I know what it's like. So I'm a bit of an insider. Uh, in that way. Uh, so I know kind of how to make the connection of this is how you can use this idea. Um, and, and then we actually practice it. So for companies, you know, like tech companies, internet companies, almost any company right now is needing to innovate. And so, uh, it's really not that difficult to show uh, how creative and innovative you can be in a very short amount of time when you practice yes and. Uh, So um, if you take people through the stages of kind of feeling what it likes, feeling what it feels like to try and create something together when you say no, and then when you say yes, but, and then when you say yes and, you kind of go through the process of that and and it's obvious like, wow, If I use yes and, I can collaborate on a super high level. I can dig into this endless well of creativity uh, and also let my partner access that as well and just have a lot more fun uh, because that's where the big ideas are. And I I think by going through the stages of this, people often have self-realizations and they go, you know, often the people who are really the most yes but people uh, have kind of aha moments and, and go like, whoa, yeah, that's me. I do that. Um, and so, you know, I think it's partly, uh, they need to experience it. And then we need to actually have some reflections over talking about it, how you can apply it, et cetera. Excellent. I know something you've said before, which is small changes in the way we communicate can drastically change how we collaborate. And I assume the linchpin of that process is yes and. Is that accurate? Yeah, exactly. It, it makes an unbelievable difference. And so it sounds uh, and, like... And, hmm? Yeah. I was, I was just going to say, it sounds like then the work that you're doing is you're modeling, you're creating an environment for employees to go through and experience that process where before there might have been this yes, but, or just no. And, th- and then you're creating an environment to where it's yes and. And so then that's where the rubber meets the road is they begin to have this experience of what it's like to actually communicate differently. Is that really what you're getting to the heart of in these workshops? 
Yeah, exactly. So you experience it, you see the difference, you feel the difference, and everyone goes through it at the same time. And then you establish a common vocabulary where you can, you know, you can then call each other out. Uh, if you feel like, for example, if you're working together on a project and you feel that someone is just yes, butting your ideas, now you have that vocabulary. You can be like, hey, you're very uh, yes, but towards me. Uh, you know, and then, uh, then you have a, you know, a, a way of communicating where you can reestablish the kind of collaboration and connection with, with your teammates. Right. So I think going a little bit deeper, getting to the heart of this, what you're really trying to encourage is authenticity, uh, not only individually, but within the context of teams. And naturally, there's a lot of interest and a lot of talk about authenticity. And I guess, what what does it mean to be authentic uh, from your standpoint? And how do you encourage people to get over some of the fears and to lean into some of the vulnerability that requires all of us to be authentic? So how would you tackle that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that easy thing to tackle. Uh, it's an 800-pound gorilla. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, no, I mean, we all want to feel that, you know, a, a sense of belonging to ourselves and, you know, our connection to our teams, or, you know, where we work, et cetera, where we can really let ourselves out. Right. Um, and we often don't, don't really feel safe enough to do that. Um, but it's so, it's so important because if you do really find your authenticity, I think it can make all the difference in your life, career, et cetera. Um, so, you know, and it's something that everyone wants. And what really annoys me is I do a lot of work with presentations and, you know, how you communicate effectively. And I'm really tired of reading these kind of six ways to get a, to do a better presentation. And, <laughs> you know, it's like a bullet point, like, right. be authentic. <laughs> you know, it's like. <laughs> oh, that's microwavable. <laughs> yeah, that's a great idea. I'll be authentic. Uh, so I think what I really try to create is a space for people to really, you know, find their voice and really, uh, you know, practice, you know, really explore what, what is authentic to me. And I think often, you know, as we grow older, uh, you know, we don't play enough. We don't have arenas where we can really explore who we are. Right. And the danger is that we, we, you know, we start kind of cutting off who we are and losing touch with it. Right. And um, so it's super important to have a place where you can really explore and be pushed in a safe way and have a power of a group that's cheering you on and being your biggest fans and pushing you to really explore, you know, who you are. Um, and uh, once you can really start letting that out and feeling bold enough to kind of step out into your greatness, uh, amazing things can happen. Uh, and you really, you know, you can really find your voice. You know, something I picked up on when you were mentioning play, and I'm wondering what is the relationship between play 
and authenticity from your standpoint. We know that what the research is saying on the, how valuable play is, not just to human species, but to mammals in general. It's really the way that people, that animals and workhorse animals learn to adapt to changing times. It's sort of dress rehearsal in many respects for, for life. And so I'm just wondering from your standpoint, yeah, what is the relationship between discovering one's true self or one's authenticity and the role that play has within that particular uh, journey? Yeah, I think it means, uh, it means so much. Uh, I, I think, okay. So, you know, Esther Perel, I think right. her name is. Yeah. Yeah. She's so, like a the therapist. The therapist who, who's famous for working with relationships. Absolutely. Um, I heard her on a podcast recently and, and she said, um, that in order to connect to, you connect to passion through playfulness. Mm. Um, and, and I think, I think when you're passionate, it, it's so much easier to actually let out your authentic voice and let your passion out. Um, and you need to get playful. Right? right. And she said that when you're a little kid and you're playing, you feel really alive. Yeah. And when you're a little kid and you're playing and you break the rules, uh. Then you're like on top of the world, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's like the best. <laughs> and so when I work with people, I really like to break all the rules, you know, uh, really break down this self image you may have of yourself uh, and really, ex you know, push yourself and really go out of the comfort zone and explore who you are. And you often will discover, oh my goodness. Like I had no idea I was capable of this, or I had no idea this was inside of me. Um, so uh, if you really play and explore, you discover sides of yourself you don't even know existed. And, it, and your authentic self is so much richer than you think. See, I think one of the problems that's kind of happened in my mind, it's kind of an epidemic is uh, somewhere along the line, everyone started playing a role of uh, quote unquote professional um, at work or it, when they're presenting. Right. So when you see a lot of people presenting, it's kind of like watching bad acting, you know? <laughs> uh, it, or in some cases, horrendous yeah. acting. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Horrendous acting. And, um, and in, in that case, when you see bad acting, you just kind of tune out, right? And you can't really, um, you can't really absorb the content. Yeah. Uh, however, when you see people who are really passionate and connected and letting out their passion and their authenticity, then it's, they become such better communicators. Right. Um, and I think you find that you definitely find that through playfulness, allowing yourself to be playful, even when it's serious stuff. Um, I mean, like some of the best presenters, in my opinion, like Brene Brown, she talks about stuff that is super serious. Right. Um, you know, vulnerability, shame, uh, yet, uh, and she's extremely powerful, yet she has this playfulness right. to where uh, she can, you know, 
smile or tell a joke and and it and it just it lifts everything yeah that's a wonderful example and i think she most people are familiar with her her ted talks and probably as a result her books and you know just the power of vulnerability uh in regards to to being authentic and uh and to finding you know our way and and speaking along those lines you know, one of the things that I think is pretty fascinating that we were talking about this summer in Copenhagen is the importance of finding your why. You know, of course, that's something that many people have latched on to. And I think it's really important in terms of purpose and, and meaning. But one of the things you brought up, which is, uh, I think, really uh, poignant is, yes, finding your why is important, but then you need to live it. And so I think this would be an interesting place because it does all tie in with the idea of authenticity and playfulness and improv is it can take a while to find one's why, but just because you found it doesn't therefore mean it's easy to live it. So how would you begin to talk about that? What does it take to, to really, once you found your why, your purpose, what animates your core with meaning? then mm. what does it take to actually live it? And I think it's probably related to some of these uh, improv fundamentals. Yeah, definitely. I mean, first of all, it takes being bold and uh, really putting yourself out there, which can be terrifying. Why? Uh, like, why? Because- I think it's interesting because most of us would think that if being bold, there's this sense of courage and it's just something that happens. But but why can that be terrifying? So uh, there's a quote by Paulo Coelho that I love. Uh, and he says, there's only one thing that makes a dream impossible to achieve, the fear of failure. Mm. And uh, I think that is what stops people so much from really living their why is they're afraid to fail. Right. And one my absolute favorite improv fundamental is we fail gloriously. <laughs> so uh, go down in a blaze so, of glory. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's great. So yeah, it's wonderful. Uh so we don't look at failure as a problem. We look at it as an opportunity. Mm. And we fail gloriously. And uh, I think it's it's completely changed my life to have uh, an arena where I can really practice celebrating failure right. and really leaning into failure and seeing like uh, firsthand that like often in improv, the best things you see in an improv show come from the failures, the misunderstandings, because the ensemble, we make something great out of it. Um, and I think it's so true with life is often our biggest successes in life come out of our biggest failures. Right. And so, but yeah, so by having a, a practice like improvisation, like improv, where you get to practice failing, failing all the time makes you so much more bold. And I, I really think it's the culture, uh, that we have around failure that will define our success. So we don't just bounce back from failure. We bounce forward. And uh, if you can really adopt this um, way of living, of failing gloriously, then uh, you look forward to failures, right? Because you see what's awesome. Right. (laughs) 
Well, I think so once you do that, you can really you can really stick your neck out there, right? And really go for your why, really live it. Right. Um, you know, that's fascinating because one, obviously failure is something that is stigmatized, especially in school. And that's generally how we're indoctrinated and conditioned. And so it yeah. really winds up influencing how we operate, not only professionally and personally, Nonetheless, there's been all this research and there's been all this, all these ideas about the importance of failure, but it doesn't seem like it's been embraced in the kinds of ways in practice. I think intellectually people get it, but nonetheless, it's, it's hard to implement into your life, never mind into a company or an organization on a collective level. And so it sounds like to me, one of the virtues of improv and the kind of workshops and training and coaching that you do is that improv becomes a sandbox, a place to play where if you're not failing, then you're not doing it right <laughs> in many, in many exactly. ways. And, and I'm wondering if it's almost a misnomer failure. Yes, it's true. But it's, if it's more like learning, because what what is the the intended outcome? Well, we don't know. We have to improv. We have to play to find out where is this going. Where is this story going to take us? And I really, it really does seem the way that you're talking about it is that ultimately it's a it's an engine for learning, for adaptation, for for growth. Would you say that, yeah that Would you say that failure is also synonymous with uh, some of the biggest opportunities for learning? Definitely. I mean, that's how we learn. It's right. so you learn so much more from failure than than a win, right? right. Uh, if you take the time to really reflect on it, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we often just want to avoid it, right? And, right? and play it safe. Um, and so that that's another bullet point, right? Fail. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, what is it? Yeah. Yeah. But where where do you get where do you get to work on it? Where do we get to practice failing? Where do we have an arena where we can actually fail and be like, yeah, I failed and love it. Right. Uh, it, it actually makes me think of uh, a time when I saw someone, quote, failing or slipping up uh, in a very public context. But this mm -hmm. person was able to improv and adapt and make it great. It was Jamie Foxx, who I'm sure everyone's familiar with, the actor, comedian, musician. And this was probably could even be 10 years ago. But I think he may have yeah. been going on Letterman when Letterman was still around and he was wearing these cowboy boots and he like slipped as he's coming up onto the stage, which for most people might be horrifying, but for him, he then turns it into this kind of dance. <laughs> and then and all of a sudden it sort of really adds, like, as you're saying, so rather than being horrified, like, Oh my God, I'm just slipping on national television. He was able to, to improv and kind of go with it and got a lot of laughs from him oh, yeah. first and foremost, but from everybody else. So that was always something I really admired mm. that that capacity to quote fail, not come out gloriously, but to fail gloriously, and actually it turns out even better. <laughs> it's quite an in, it's quite a <laughs> introduction. Yeah, it's incredible how we have these amazing opportunities uh, to embrace this um, all the time, and that's just one example. Like he he slipped, he did it, he danced out of it, and everyone fell in love with him. Yeah, right. <laughs> You know, and, and I see this a lot because I see a lot of presentations. I go to events 
And, you know, things always go wrong, right? The projector doesn't work. Um, the PowerPoint's messed up. Like someone asks you a question. There's always things that go, quote unquote, wrong. And uh, if you if you are get stressed out about it, like, oh, no, the projector doesn't work. Oh, my slides. Uh, you know, everyone in the audience is going to be like, oh, my God, are they going to be okay? Right. Uh, you know, we're going to worry. Uh, but if you're like, oh, the projector doesn't work, I guess I'll have to wing it. Uh, you know, you fail gloriously like that. Everyone will instantly love you uh, right. and get on your side. <clears throat> you know, so I think that's I, a I think pretty this, powerful point. What's that? Yeah. Well, and and it makes me think, too, why is that so effective? And it seems because you're showing that you're human. And as humans, we're not just perfect. We're not just sculpted out of marble to look like Greek gods and goddesses, which is how we think we should come across in all aspects of our life. And when there's some sort of chink in that armor, it's it's like such a transgression. But in fact, it's what makes us human. And when we don't pretend to be holier than thou or uh, superhuman, then I think it allows other people to probably feel more relaxed and comfortable in their own skin. Because when luminaries can show that they're not perfect, that they make mistakes, then they're mortal like the rest of us. And, uh, and yet, perhaps most uh, creatively, that they can bounce back or, as you said, bounce forward from that. Mm. And yeah. I just wonder if that's one of the biggest limitations to being innovative to being able to be adaptable and evolve with the times is just this absolute uh you know terror we have around making mistakes um actually somehow not coming across as our best or perfect selves which in many respects is we have those qualities but it's a myth to think that we can just be living from that place 24 7 yeah it's so true because uh, a lot of people feel that they're going to be judged right. or punished. You know, they don't feel safe to really let themselves out um, and maybe have a bad idea. You know, like you're going to survive, but they feel like, oh, they'll be ridiculed or judged or um, so they don't really dare. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm noticing with some of these improv fundamentals, it seems there's, I think, three you've talked about. They're all interrelated. You have saying yes and being bold and confident and failing gloriously, which is awesome. Are there, is there anything else that, that comes to mind in terms of improv fundamentals uh, that you think are part of the toolkit that, that you provide? Yeah, I think being bold and confident is really an outcome of what happens when you when you use this. But um, I would definitely say open listening. And what I really mean by that is non-judgmental listening. Right. So, for example, when we're when we're yes butting someone, that's like critical listening because you're listening in a way where you want to find the problem with someone's idea. And what I love about yes and uh, is when you're in a true state of yes and, it is impossible to be judgmental because mm. you're so you're accepting that person's idea as reality with a huge yes, right? Right. Uh, and then uh, then you're just ready to build on it. 
So um, it's really impossible to be judgmental to people's ideas when you're in this state of yes and and open listening. Um, and that's when unbelievable connection is formed um, and safety, right? right. Um, so I, I think like when you feel that, you know, like trust and support just like explode um and then you that really like helps people dig into their creativity i I had a workshop last week uh with this group and this one woman said to me she said during the break she said i'm not creative no she said it out loud in the workshop she's like i'm not creative uh that's why i do uh accounting (laughs) and uh throughout the workshop we started doing some of these things and she was so creative uh, and uh, hilarious and had these huge, big ideas. And it was so clear how creative she was. And, um, you know, this is what happens when you have that kind of open listening and you provide that safety to people. So I would say that that is a huge fundamental. Uh, There's also one more that I love to talk about, and that's to make your partner look good. Right. So, uh, because improv is really like a team sport, if you will, uh, it's not about me, 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 it's about us. So when you're working with someone, like, for example, if you and I were doing a scene together and my whole goal is to really make you look good. And if, if you shine, we shine. Right. Uh, so it really takes the ego out of the work. Uh, you work in an ensemble and a team. It's not about me. It's about us. So you constantly have this mindset of like, how can I help? How can I support? How can I make you look good? Absolutely. Yeah, that I'm glad that you were able to mention those. I think those are pretty critical for personal and team success. And even if somebody is quote, works by themselves, no one is truly an island because it takes a constellation of, of people to, to make anything happen. So even if someone's a writer, which seems like a solitary profession, there's editors and publishers and there's teams of people you still have to work with. Um, so, but most of us, of course, do work in organizations uh, that where we are part of teams. And I, and I love that, you know, our goal should be to make our team look great. And I think that part about opening listening is so essential because not only are we judgmental towards other people, but we're so judgmental towards ourselves. And I think anyone that's attempted to do any kind of mindfulness training immediately sees this. One of the goals, and I know you're familiar with this, is to have one's mindfulness practice, you're trying to be mirror-like with your awareness. A mirror simply reflects what comes in front of it. But so often we are groping and attaching or running away from thoughts and emotions and feelings within ourselves. It's hard to just sit there and be non-judgmentally present with the contents of our own mind the sensation yeah. of our body. Um, so I think it really does start with the individual um, before we can truly be open to others. The real challenge is, can we be open with ourselves? And, and I know that just from my own experience, it's, it's easier said than done, but the more compassion yeah. we can uh, sort of apply 
uh, inwardly, I think it becomes a little bit easier outwardly because we know that we're not perfect. And therefore, uh, we have a little more compassion towards uh, the range of, of expressions that, that will take place uh, in the world. It's so true. I mean, I used to be so judgmental to myself, you know, I, I, I think I had the hardest time yes anding myself. And um, I think that's what really prevented me from doing this work for so long. I was scared shitless of it, you know, right. and um, I, you know, even though I was doing a lot of actors are really terrified of improv. Uh, they love to have the safety of a script. Interesting. Um, yeah. And a lot of people in general, it, it is scary. I was so scared. Um, however, uh, you know, with this, when you do this work really continually, um, you know, not just once in a while, it's, it's like working out. It's like going to the gym. If you train, uh, to do the work, then you can really start yes-anding yourself and being open to yourself. It, it is like a spiritual practice for me. It's similar to mindfulness, uh, you know. And when you do, when I do improv, or you know, when I'm working on stage, it's you really get into uh, into the now. Yeah. Um, I mean, sometimes you get up in your head and you have a rough show too. That happens. Yeah. Uh, but there, there is that opportunity to where you really, you know, you yes the moment and you get so into that now. It's it's a great practice. Yeah, it really does sound like it can be a spiritual practice. And, you know, interesting, I was just listening to one of Oprah's super soul conversations with Rain Wilson, the, the comedic actor. And they were talking about spirituality. He's from the Baha'i faith. And one of the things that the Baha'i faith says is that there's no difference between your spiritual practice and art, um, that, that they feel that they can really be coming from the same source. And when it that just came into my mind, because it does sound like that when you're really in the in the heart of, of improv, it really is almost like this, this deep mindfulness practice, not only with yourself, but, but with the team you're working with. And it made me also think of uh, Pema Chodron, this Tibetan Buddhist nun that some people might be familiar with. She wrote a, one of my favorite books of hers compilation of her talks is comfortable with uncertainty. And it seems that yeah. that's exactly what improv is helping to prime one for is to be comfortable with the unknown is we don't know where this is going, but it's going to be easier to go if we can be supportive together as we move forward, which I think is a really powerful symbol for what we face collectively as a species and then a planet. It's like, we don't know what the future is going to hold and it's kind of arriving at breakneck speed. Uh, and, and yet if we can't be adaptive, if we can't um, try to make, uh, one another shine uh, and sort of do listen to each other as we try to grope our way forward, then, uh, yeah, it will be, I think it will be a lot more successful if we can apply some of these principles uh, in that way. So, yeah, it does seem like it does. It's what I love about the way you articulate this is that on one hand, it's not rocket science in terms of like getting what the idea is, but it's, it is harder than rocket science when it comes to practice. Yet, if you can create a safe space 
where people can begin to have these experiences, then you immediately see the results, it sounds like. And from uh, just listening to some of the testimonials that people that have gone through your workshops have said, I mean, it seems that it's pretty transformative. Um, so they get it. It's almost like that mystical experience. It's not just, do you believe in God? No, you want to experience that reality. And so to experience that transformation, it doesn't, of course, seem like that's it. You're transformed for the rest of your life. It's an ongoing process. But it does seem that that's the most important thing. It's not just another boring PowerPoint that people listen to. Okay, maybe you apply it. But no, you're trying to create what would it be actually like? to operate differently. Well, well, let me show you. And, mm. and I think that that's what seems to make it so effective from, from an outsider perspective. Yeah, yeah definitely is, is, is the actual putting it into practice. Cause you, you see right away, uh, huge transformations and, yeah, it is. It, it, I I love uh, Pema Chodron, and I've read that book as well, and I I totally resonated with this work. Yeah. Um. And and the state we're in now is is everything is changing so fast, and uh, like you said, we don't know where we're going. And if you can, as a group, really you know embrace these fundamentals and uh. Uh, create this kind of safety together and and fail gloriously kind of attitude then i think as a team you can be so strong and be willing to kind of run out into the unknown together uh in a bold way uh rather than in a you know frightened uh way where you're kind of grasping for some certainty right um and you know not really willing to adapt and deal with change because change is really, really hard to deal with. (laughs) It just is. Yeah. It's not only hard, but especially when it's coming at us in spades in all directions. And so I really do think that the work you're doing and I'm sure others like you is, is not only important, but I think necessary. And, you know, I really hope that uh, more organizations can begin to incorporate some of these principles and techniques because I think it can transform culture uh, and then radiate out from there. And uh, I think in, while, of course, there's many strategies and approaches that that I think could be complementary, uh, the, the underlying essence of comfort, comfort with uncertainty, yes, and open listening, making your partner look good, um, failing gloriously. And then from that, that bold confidence, uh, that, that can emerge is, uh, I mean, I think that's what we're all aiming for. Yeah, no doubt. Awesome. My friend. Um, well, yeah, I think you did a, a great job of just summarizing the work that you do. Um, is there anything else that, uh, that you maybe didn't touch upon that you wanted to Say this is also another facet. I'm sure that when you take people through, not just a day or in some cases series, or you're doing coaching, there's a lot of nuance. But any other general principles or ideas that somehow was were left out? I think we touched on really uh, a lot of it. Um, I just, you know, I urge people to be open-minded, give the work a shot. Uh, 
because it's it's pretty amazing uh, what can the positive results it can have. Uh, I mean, I can say for me personally, since I really embraced this work, uh, it's completely changed my life and given me a lot more confidence and trust in in who I am and my voice, et cetera. And uh, I've just seen what it's done to others uh, and and the transformation and the leaps people can make. Uh, it's really why I love doing this work and it's kind of taken over my life. Um, so I, yeah, I would just urge people to give it a shot. Yeah, absolutely. And if people are interested uh, in in working with you as a transformational coach in some capacity, how can they find you? Well, you can find me on LinkedIn. That's one place, Josh Len, uh, L-E-N-N. Um, you can find me on uh, Instagram, I guess. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> uh, maybe that's not the best place. Um, my website is uh, itsco.se, I-T-S-C-O.se. That's a good place to find me. Or joshlen.com. Okay. Cool. Uh, now, uh, before you go, uh, as this is Hungry Minds, what are you hungry for right now uh, in the sense of what is sparking and fueling your own curiosity or, or the questions you have? Um, is there anything in particular that uh, sort of animates your, your mind and soul at this particular phase? Oh, God. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, just feel like so hungry for growth uh, in general, like in, in, and right now just really, really trying to be really curious and uh, with myself and really just really listen in. And, and I'm constantly really trying to make, like find the things in my life that I love that I love what I'm doing and just make sure that I'm on the right path. Uh, so like deep kind of listening into myself uh, is kind of what I've been hungry for also. And just, you know, like bring this work to more people. I think um, I really hungry to bring this to, to kids. I've been doing a lot of work uh, or, or more work with teams in the last year, uh, I did this at my daughter's school and I did it at another school. And I think when, when we're around 14, 15, 13 to 15, so much stuff changes and there's so much pressure to maybe play certain roles. Um, it's kind of the beginning of like us being socialized in a way that is tough. So I'm, I'm really hungry to bring this work to, to more teens. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to find ways to do That's that. That's great. Yeah, it seems like that would be so powerful uh, because that's so formative, one's education. And if people can lay down the this kind of uh, – these sort of habits of mind at that stage, I think there'd be a huge advantage um, that they would have. So so that sounds pretty exciting. Well, yeah, but- I mean, I wish that I had this work in school, you know. Right. I wish that I came out of high school – feeling like super confident and how to deal with failure and trust my voice and know how to collaborate with other people. And uh, I feel like it's a, it's a big miss that we're not, you know, 
learning these skills that actually are really relevant to all our lives. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's the exact opposite. I mean, I came out, I think, feeling just just unconscious <laughs> of high school. <laughs> it, yeah, embryonic, embryonic stage of development. <laughs> Reptilian. Oh, man. Yeah. That's great. I think the next generation hopefully is uh, standing on our shoulders and uh, and then we'll be able to use that as a spring for as a springboard uh, for sure. Well, great work. And uh, yeah, I encourage all those listening to, to definitely reach out uh, to Josh and uh, and transform yourself <laughs> and your company. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, likewise. Well, hey, thank you not not only for coming on the podcast, being the uh, the first guest, but really being the catalyst for starting this. So, so thank you so much, and and much love. Thank you, man. Thank you. Hey, let me ask you one thing, real quick. Yeah, sure. What are you What are you hungry for right now? Uh, let's see, tacos. <laughs> um. Yeah. And a beer. Yeah, right. Exactly. It is Saturday. Um, you know, I think a lot of the same things you're mentioning. And uh, there's a book that I'm reading right now that I think taps into some of this. It's called uh, Adapt, Why Success Always Starts with Failure by Tim Harford. And it's really looking at a lot of these ideas from using the, the metaphor of evolution, looking at it literally how evolution via natural selection is trial and error. Uh, so it's not just going to be going big and succeeding, but it's going to be a lot of failure and figuring out, or you could say in another way, learning uh, to figure out what works and what doesn't, and then applying that model uh, to the world around us through a number of examples, whether it be personal, cultural, or within uh, business. And so, so I find that the more uh, ideas and stories that help really strengthen and fortify uh, this way of operating, creating a new operating system is something that I'm really passionate about and hungry for. And then same with purpose and meaning, you know, it's kind of finding your why is just how powerful that is. I'm reading another book by this guy, Victor Stretcher, called Life on Purpose. How living for what matters most changes everything. And one of the things, and I've heard some of this before, some of the research between happiness and meaning. Happiness is about making yourself feel good. Nothing wrong with that. But meaning is about um, being a part of something greater than yourself. And people with lots of happiness but with little meaning have the same gene expression of people under chronic adversity. And what he was pointing out, uh, Victor Stretcher, is it's amazing all the physiological markers where having purpose and meaning in your life just drastically improve one's physical health and mental health. And so I think that this is an interesting frontier. And I think more and more people are recognizing not only how important it is, but are recognizing that there's a real crisis of meaninglessness uh, in culture. Yes. And so I'm really passionate. It's what I work with uh, with with my students uh, is really trying to explore meaning and purpose. And and so those are the things that I'm I'm definitely uh, have sort of an insatiable appetite for right now. <laughs> I love that. I love that because it makes me think back to 
you know, periods of my life where I wasn't really living my purpose. Yeah. And oh my God, was I way unhealthier. Right. You know, I was probably abusing alcohol, um, just feeling not, you know, connected, like probably not sleeping as much. Like, I, I mean, yeah, it, it, I can understand why you know, being connected, living a life where you feel you're being of service and uh, meaning would change everything physically as well. Yeah. And it seems that that's really uh, at the heart of a lot of your work is that sense of authenticity, that sense of passion, that sense of purpose. And, uh, and so, yeah, that improv is, uh, I think, a real valuable tool to help uncover uh, some of those things. And I still, I want to be able to do some improv with you. I'm kind of holding out uh, because I don't want to just do it around here, but I guess I got to make my way to Stockholm to, if I'm going to make that happen, which, which sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Come on over. Absolutely. Or I'll have to come out there. I'll have to come out there. You know, I miss the Bay Area. Yeah. So. Sounds great. All right, my friend. Well, thanks so much. And we'll definitely do a round two. Love it. Beautiful. Thanks for having me. I'm very grateful. All right. To be continued. All right. Take care.